All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 15th day of December, 2020. And I do like to remind you that I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to that by going to Mining Stocks. Dot com, miningstocks.com, and I also, as always, like to remind you of Chen Lin's uh, newsletter, too, and Chen will be with us in just a few minutes to give us a couple of his ideas on the markets. Uh, Chen Lin's, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? You can uh, pick up a subscription there at chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com, and um, also we like to remind you of Michael Oliver's work as well, olivermsa.com. Michael's not with us today. But every other week, Michael joins us to give us his ideas on the markets, and uh, they've been really, from a technical point of view, I've not found anybody better for me than Michael Oliver, and that's why he's on this show uh, so frequently. And I want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, I want to invite you to keep your thoughts coming along. Send your ideas, whatever they are, positive, negative, or in between, send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com questions at number four taylor at gmail.com and we must thank our sponsors uh, for today's show they make it possible to bring you this show benchmark metals nv gold cassier gold corp hannon metals irving resources novo resources sitka gold corp lion one metals and sk mining corp those are our current sponsors for uh, this week title today's show uh, an inflation roadmap alistair mcleod michael hudson and as i mentioned chen lim Uh, will be with me today. It is beginning to be obvious to a larger group of investors that global economic woes extend beyond COVID lockdowns and that monetary inflation for the dollar as the common foundation for other fiat currencies whose issuers face similar problems will continue to accelerate. Fiat currencies have only survived this long due to an increased financialization of the dollar and the U.S. economy. Since the 1980s, Wall Street has gradually dominated the U.S. economy at the expense of Main Street. It has done so through monetary inflation, creating the conditions for the ultimate monetary collapse. I will be talking more about those themes in the second half of today's show with Alistair McLeod as he walks us through the pathological mechanics of our impending economic demise. And then I want to ask him for advice on how we should prepare, uh, personally, how we should prepare for those kind of uh, times that we are going to be facing in the future. Right after our first commercial break, I will be speaking with Michael Hudson, who will update us 
on the status of Hannon Metals, world-class sedimentary hosted silver copper project in Peru. The company just received some very good news uh, last week regarding an agreement with a major world-class Japanese mining entity that has the resources to turn this enormously enormous project into a significant silver and copper discovery. So we'll be talking to Michael Hannon about that right after our first commercial break. But right now I'm really pleased to tell you that my friend Chen Lin is with me once again to give us his thoughts on the markets as we head uh, into a new year in just a, a couple of weeks from now. We'll be heading into 2021, so it's uh, really good to have Chen with me. Thanks for joining me today, Chen. Thank you. So pleased to be back. It's good to have you, Chen, and I know that you uh, you, you have a vision of the markets that is, that is unique. That's why we like to have you on, um, it, and it has been very successful for you and your subscribers. Uh, I want to ask you about the biotech sector, because I know that's an area that you're really honed in on and have done extremely well. Uh, and, you know, there is a company that I want to ask you about, our, uh, our Achieve Life Sciences, in, in a few minutes from now. And uh, I know you're very, very bullish on that, and I, you convinced me to pick up some shares myself. Uh, but let's, I'd like to ask you what your thoughts are on some of the other markets first before we get to biotechs and Achieve Life Sciences. Precious metals, maybe, and then energy stocks, and then maybe, in general, biotechs, and then we'll get into archive life sciences. So what are your thoughts right now on the precious metals sector? Yes, um, I, I discuss precious metal uh, quite often, you know, uh, it's my, one of my core area. Uh, and uh, when the Pfizer vaccine first came out, 90%, that's when I said, you know, I, we need to reduce the precious metal. That was over a month ago, right? So mm-hmm. I was able to sell the ETF and then move money to those uh, back-to-work stock, uh, cruise line, hotel, whatever. I mean, it went up like crazy. I've been selling. I told my subscriber to sell last week. We've been selling and selling. I mean, some some you know, core option went up to twenty fold, and I have a hotel went tripled, uh, but many other up like twenty, thirty percent in one month, mm-hmm. forty. You know, and um, in the meantime, gold has been going straight down because people sell gold <laughs> to mm-hmm. chase that. Yeah. But I think last week I saw that about you know the easy money was made, so we we start selling. And we buy and buy gold, and uh, we buy biotech. So that's uh, that's a two area. And uh, the the problem right now still in the, in gold space is there's a very little physical demand. Okay, so uh, you look at India, it's no no demand. You know, Indian holiday just it passed. You know, very little. If they are not net seller, uh, the Shanghai uh, gold is still trading at discount, even though it's less than before. Uh, used to be much deeper discount to New York. Historically, Shanghai always trading at premium to New York. That's how gold mm-hmm. goes, right? So where is the more expensive? So this is still, uh, so I'm hoping, okay, so this my thesis is, uh, you know, the Chinese New Year coming, you know, in less than two months, and uh, hopefully that uh, will generate some decent uh, physical demand in gold, okay? Uh, traditionally, Every year, okay, including the bear market, around this time, gold always go up. Okay, gold always go up. And uh, maybe we'll have another uh, year in run right now. So that's why I was gearing up to buy gold miner. I bought back gold miner. I also bought some silver uh, and silver core options. So I think silver probably will do better than gold if gold uh, mm-hmm. move up because, you know, it's industrial use and then clean energy is such a... Uh, important piece, right, in the uh, 
the new new administration and how they how they see it. So, uh-huh. uh, so yeah, more bullish on silver, silver than, than gold. And uh, I hope today it's a, it's a day. I mean, we have a very strong gold, and we we we're hitting just exactly hitting the resistance, uh, 1850. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, this week uh, we will be over that, and then we have a traditional run of gold for the next uh, at least a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that that's that's a general season. Okay, and I also own a lot of juniors. But junior, you cannot trade like this. And most I mentioned is a, you know, big ETF and senior. Yeah. Which I own a lot right. Of. So that, that that's the thesis. And then for the energy, actually, it's very interesting. It's like a, a potentially new beginning of uh, of the energy trade. I mean, so uh, over a month ago, I bought all these. Uh, other, I also bought energy stock. Okay, I, I mean, I've been selling to take profit. Uh, but uh, there, there, there's some uh, uh, stabilization in oil coming. If we get over the pandemic by summer, hopefully by summer uh, next year, uh, so then we can gradually uh, have a global demand coming up, coming back, right? So that could be very positive for energy. But energy still suffer a lot of uh, inventory overhang of oil. So it will be the... The, the last uh, commodity to recover, but the, you know we can lay down some thesis, especially uh, energy company that can do well at a low oil price. So that's uh-huh. what I'm looking. They can survive, they can generate cash flow at a low oil price, and if oil pick up, they, you know you got you know win on your back, right? You can do even better. Yeah, so, and so uh, the biotechs. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Chen. Yeah, that's a general thesis, and then yeah. the biotech. I, uh, I'm looking at you know there, there's frankly Jay, there's quite a few. I bought a, quite a few different biotechs. Now, uh-huh. one of those I, I mentioned to you last week uh, is a, it's a chief. It's very simple to understand. It's very simple. It's a, they're doing phase three for the smoke quitting drug, uh-huh. right? And then right now the market leader is the Pfizer's drug, which sells about a billion a year. And then their market cap is fifty million. So, and then they they just started or they started phase three trial. Uh, I I draw it very similar parallel to another company, which is not a success story actually. So in biotech, you have success and failure. It's called Acasti. Two years ago, Acasti was trading just like this market cap, trading around sixty cents, right? So before the data came out, they went all the way to three dollars. So it's five folded before the data came out. Okay, the data came out uh, last January. Actually, it was a complete disaster, so we failed. But for the investor, you have a chance to buy at $0.60, cents, and then you can sell some. That's what I, I recommend my subscriber to do, was to sell some before the data come out to hedge your uh-huh. risk, to have you have sure. a free share into that, even if it's a failure. You're not, you know, you're not losing money, actually. You know? So uh, for, the, for the same situation for Achieve is that you can buy it now. The market cap is 40-something million. Uh, in general, if phase three data come out with this potentially a groundbreaking drug, it should be at least a few hundred million. Right? And the data, uh, they will continue, to, they will finish enrollment in Q1, the, uh, the last patient visit in Q3, and then the data will come out Q4 of next year. So by this time next year, the data will come out. But, uh, but you know, they, I just talked to the management. They will be very busy on the road to talking to, 
investor. They just did the financing. That's why stock was down so much. So it's a very good opportunity to pick up some cheap share. And then they will, be, they will have a very active year. And then talking to people about uh, their drug, their potential. And then, you know, you can just ride the wave. And, and then before, just remember the data coming out. If you're on the de-risk, you sell some. But for this drug, actually, risk is very low because it's, uh, it's widely used in Eastern Europe. Okay, uh-huh. so uh, it, it's known. The drug uh, uh, efficacy is known. So there's trial uh-huh. done many years ago on this. So it's, uh-huh. you're taking very little risk. And, uh, you, you know, right, so uh, the, the data, of, uh, positive data for phase three, uh, this time next year is extremely high. And then you usually have a, a run up before the phase three data, so that's mm-hmm. that's that's my thesis. Right? So, oh, excellent! Uh, and then they you just know, completed a phase three uh-huh. trial. We have just completed the the race, so the the price is at rock bottom. Yeah. Well, uh, Chen, you say the market cap's only forty million. I see it's at seven dollars. I saw it's seven dollars seventy seven cents or something like that before we went on the air today. Uh, it must be very few shares then. Yeah, about 60, 6 million, 6 million share outstanding. Oh, okay. So, That's so why then. So, the, so, so for listeners who are saying, well, $7.86 is kind of an expensive stock. No, it's not. It's $40 million market cap. So keep that in 40, mind. Yeah. And, 47, you know, so. yeah, less than 50. So in general, okay, from biotech, uh, you have phase three trial. Usually data come out. Usually it uh, should be a few hundred million. So it kind of similar to Acasti uh, two years ago. So, you, you know, for investor, you basically can take the ride with a very little risk. And then you, if you want de-risk, you can sell some sometime next year when they stock move up. When the more and more people heard of, you know, hear about this story, then they start buying, then you can reduce your risk, whatever you like. All right, Chen, we're going to have to leave it go at that. But I want to just remind my listeners, this is why you might want to consider uh, in, subscribing to Chen's letter, he has an ability to sort of figure out which sectors to move in and out of, whereas yours truly is sort of a perpetual gold bug, and I'm sort of stuck on stories through thick or thin. Uh, Chen maximizes his return on investment and in those of his subscribers by, for example, uh, I would imagine, Chen, you're feeling on the back-to-work stocks they were maybe a little overdone. They, they went up very rapidly. You capitalized on that. You are one of the first people to jump in on that. But you do that sort of thing. I've seen it over the years. In many different times, you're able to sort of perceive what the next big story is going to be. And that's, that's, um, that's a valuable asset for your, for your subscribers. So um, I just wanted to let my listeners just bring that to their attention. That this is one of the reasons uh, they might want to consider subscribing. To your letter, what well, is Chen buying, you. what is Chen Appreciate selling. It. Thank you so much, Chen, uh, for sharing that with us, and um, we'll want to keep up with you through uh, the next year on some of these biotechs, perhaps. So thanks so much for being with us again. All right, thank you. And gold. All right. Hopefully gold will have a good, good year in gold, too. <laughs> uh, I think we might. I think we very well might. But, the, again, as you point out, there's ups and downs in all these markets, and if you can sort of play those waves, you can optimize your return. So thanks again, Chen. And uh, we do have to go to break now, folks, but uh, don't go away because Michael Hudson will be with us to talk about some very exciting news that uh, his company had last week, and he'll share that with us right after the break when we come back. So don't go away.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Benchmark Metals is an advanced gold-silver exploration company that is rapidly advancing its Canadian gold-silver project to a production decision. Benchmark is nearing completion of its largest program to date, with up to 100,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group management team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success. Cassiar Gold Corp. trades on the OTCQB under the symbol CGLCF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GLDC. Its flagship asset, the Cassiar Gold Project, is a large advanced stage road accessible gold property with an NI43101 compliant resource estimate of 1 million ounces at 1.43 grams per ton gold at the Taurus near surface bulk tonnage gold deposit and 15 kilometers of high-grade gold prospects. The property hosts several past-producing high-grade gold mines and is in search for the next multi-million ounce gold camp in British Columbia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jerry Taylor, and I'm really happy to have Michael Hudson with me. He is the CEO and chairman of Hannon Metals. Uh, it is a company that has a world-class exploration target in uh, Peru. It's a sedimentary-hosted copper-silver target um, that is, uh, I think, is, is something you really want to keep your eyes on, and so I'm really happy to have Michael with me again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Good morning from down under. Yeah, yeah it's seven o'clock, and uh, I guess you're uh, you're in Melbourne, right? I am. I am in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. So, uh, Han and Metals, your, your company uh, trades in Toronto under the symbol H A N, and uh, you can buy it down here in the states as I have under the symbol H A N N F. Eighty-one million shares outstanding, thirty-nine cents a share, uh, thirty-two million market cap. Uh, it's a baby. It's a real baby. Uh, compared to what I think um, you you might uh, investors might be looking at in the near future, so um, I'd like to proceed by asking you um, to a couple of different things. I, I know that the San Martin project is the name of the project, um, and and what what can investors look forward to in 2021? That's what we're looking. What we really want to know. Uh, talk to us about the recent news. Well, first of all, maybe maybe just for the sake of investors that haven't followed the story so far, just give us an overview of what you have and the, and the tremendous size uh, and potential grades and and scope of the size of the San Martin project. Thanks, Jay. So San Martin is in the in northeastern Peru. It is in really frontier 
territory. We've been first movers over the last few years and, and staked something like, uh, well, 60, or 660 square kilometres <laughs> of tenure over over 120 kilometres. And, and within that 120 kilometres, we've been finding consistently very high-grade copper and silver. It's a it's a style of mineralization that we call sediment hosted. So so it's it forms in in layers within certain rocks, and and so we know those certain rocks exist over that uh, that large area, and and we've been finding them where we've been predicting them in in that layer cake or pancake uh, stratigraphy. So so it it has great context. It's very early stage. Um, we we are first movers. We we created a staking rush in the area. The grades look uh, phenomenally good. You know, copper is, uh, is, there's more going to be more copper mined over the next 20 years than has been consumed for the history of the earth. So in, in, a, in the right commodity. And, and really, uh, other than a slowdown this year, uh, because of the, the COVID pandemic, uh, we, we, we're, that's the only thing that's really held us back. Um, we're back on the ground now and, and ready to make further discoveries with, uh, with a great partner. Yeah, the great yeah, partner, the and that's the big that's news. The uh, a, a, a project the size that you're looking at there would be quite a, a daunting task for a junior uh, to at least to make, because you're going to have to spend a lot of money, I imagine, drilling, uh, exploring, developing. And so talk to us about your partner that you just ha- signed a, an agreement with JOGMEC, that's J-O-G-M-E-C. I'm not sure right now what the an acronym stands for, but it's a Japanese entity, a very important, I guess, government-connected Japanese entity that helps promote uh, mining of Japanese companies. Do I have that right? Yeah, yes, Jay. It, it's it's Japanese Oil, Gas and Metals National Corporation to get the acronym uh, correct, and and, uh-huh. it, and and it is the Japanese government, and it and it is the arm of the Japanese government that is mandated to to look for new opportunities uh, for metal supply for f- the future for Japan and Japanese industry. So it's a very forward-looking government body that uh, basically backs people like ourselves. Uh, and, and the deal that we've done with JOGMEC is, is without a doubt, I think if your listeners were to, to do their own due diligence, one of the, the best and um, most solid joint ventures in, in our space over the last year. It really is, is, is quite the deal. And can you talk to us a little bit about that joint venture? What are the terms of it? And then maybe perhaps talk a bit, little bit about what the plans might be in 2021 uh, in conjunction with uh, with JogMec, for sure. So, so just uh, just to give you a bit of a, a, a pre warning, uh, we can talk about JogMec, and that is the key part of the story to discuss today. But we also have a, a second prong uh, that is that is been building up, and I can give you a little taste of that uh, as we round up this conversation for for the company in Peru also. So going back to the Jogmec deal itself, it's uh, it's it's a serious deal. It's 35 million US dollars that that uh, Jogmec have commi- committed in stages uh, to to spend on this project with us. Uh, in in the first four years, they're going to spend eight million US dollars on the high risk exploration part of the project, and uh, and until they spend that eight million dollars. Uh, they don't have any 
any uh, ownership whatsoever. Once they spend that, they get to 51%. And, and then there's a staged approach of spending another 12 million to take the project forward to a pre-feasibility. And then another stage after that, a $15 million expenditure to, uh, to bring it to a feasibility study. So in total, that's 35 million. Uh, Hannon retains 100% ownership and, and management of the project for the first four years as we're going through that higher risk expiration stage. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the beauty of this deal is that it's going to cost shareholders zero to, um, to participate in this. Uh, if, if Jogmec eventually spend their $35 million, they'll own 75% of the project. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it's, a, it's a pretty unique situation and, and minimizes dilution, of course, for shareholders uh, because it would, would take quite some capital to, to get to that point ourselves uh, and, and re with raising equity. So from the 75%, if, if and when they earn that, uh, then you'll... Uh, you'll be on the hook for the 25%, I guess, going forward at that stage. Yeah, it's a quite a complex deal. Uh, there's yeah. there's a few options there. They can, at that point of feasibility, on feasibility, they can purchase another 10% from us at market, which would help fund the project for us. Uh, uh, or there's a there's a there's an agreement that they can fund us through loans, uh, mm -hmm. through to through to production, uh, and then that's that's paid back from production or all we all we go all we go alone so it just mm -hmm. depends on on where things are at but there's a there's a number of built-in uh safeguards i suppose for not being out, outspent by the japanese government uh if if we get to a point where where um they're going very hard and and for example the market's not there at the time but uh but th this this is a this is a big deal uh, with one of the best partners in the space the japanese government who who are well known for for backing big discoveries and and putting uh, that high those high risk dollars in and 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 having patient capital to 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 allow us to succeed. Yeah, well, they certainly must see something big, uh, or they wouldn't be there. Uh, that's for sure. And then, uh, or the potentially something big. Uh, do you expect to be making some announcements about the exploration uh, program for for next year? Will that be coming out sometime soon? Yes, we've got a t we've got teams on the ground. Uh, uh, Jay, as we speak, uh, our, our president of the company actually flew, he's based in Sweden, down to Peru. So international travel uh, with, with caution it has started again. And then we've got uh, the rest is, a, is an in-country team. So they're out there bashing the rocks and making the discoveries and collecting all, all that data uh, that we, we said we will uh, in, in, uh, with ferocity at the moment. So there'll be a steady stream of news flow from this project, this JogMec joint venture, uh, without a doubt, uh, in, in, in the new year and going forward. We, we're not planning to stop. And then, as you mentioned, you have some ground that's not subject to this joint venture agreement. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that and what your plans might be there on on that um, on that ground? So, just uh, just reminding you that uh, we did the deal with Jogmec on. Uh, 660 square kilometres, uh -huh. um, and and we've also been working up over the last six months a, a, a second stage strategy for copper and silver and copper and gold in in Peru. We feel the the areas in which we're working are the high jungle areas of Peru. They're really one of the untapped. Uh, terrains of the world, a, a true frontier, and and that's why we've been able to make such a vast 
basin scale discovery already, but we feel that uh, we're in a pretty good position with our ability to work in those areas, our ability to gain access and uh, work with the local stakeholders and, and local people. So, so we've actually uh, increased our land holding and you'll see more about this coming to the table um, over the next week or so, but, uh, but it's, it's public information and if you wanted to check in, in the records in Peru that we've staked uh, 1,200 square kilometres more oh. In our okay. own right, so uh -huh. so uh, so two thirds uh, of the area that we have in the company is now being explored in our own right to basically load up and do exactly what we've done in 2020 again in 2021 and and aim to make another big discovery and and uh, potentially bring in a, a, another partner or explore it in our own right. Mm -hmm. Gold copper is the target there, is it? Well, it, it's it's both. Uh, it's a both kind of a different hosted. kind of a. Yeah. Uh, it's both the sediment hosters. We've oh, got, uh, okay. we've got okay. projects around the Jogmek joint venture, that uh, and then there's a second second style with a more porphyry alkalic porphyries, which are, are typically copper gold. So that uh, that that's the the two pronged approach that uh, that we've been working up. Great. All right. Well, it sounds it sounds like you're in pretty good shape about financing. You're you're okay. You're gonna you're not gonna have to raise money now, or not very much, I guess, with Jogmec uh, spending on the on on that first set of claims. No, Jogmec have been very generous. They back dated the deal back to the first of April. So mm -hmm. actually, we're getting a um, a, uh, a a uh, a cash call that that uh, will be paid into our accounts shortly. That uh, mm -hmm. that will be about half of the. One million dollar expenditure that um, that we aim to to spend before the end of March. That's the mm -hmm. stage one or first year, and um, and that started back in April. So they've been very generous uh, in, in that respect, and uh, we've got about two million dollars in Canadian in the bank All at right. the moment. So mm -hmm. so we're 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 very well positioned. Jay um, fully funded uh, for a very large part of our ground, and and starting earlier stage work on stage two. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to the news, the uh, news releases as they come out. Certainly a story that I want to keep my subscribers up to date on and uh, listeners to this show as well. Uh, anything else, Michael? No, we, we're motivated by discovery. We've got 35 million good reasons to demonstrate why this first one uh, is, is, is uh, looking very encouraging with one of the best partners, and, and we're ready to do it again, Jay. And thank, thanks for having me over there. I wish everyone a good afternoon. Yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, getting up so early to talk to us, uh, Michael. It's very good to have you with us, and all the best to you. Uh, happy New Year, and um, a happier one, hopefully, than 2020, which has had its challenges, no doubt about that. But you have continued to work and, and move the project forward as best you could, and have made some good progress, the way it sounds, uh, 2020 as well. So thanks a lot for everything, and we'll look to keep up with you going forward, Michael. Stay safe, Jay. Thank you. All righty. Folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Alistair McLeod will be with me right after the commercial break to talk about inflation roadmap, the inflation roadmap that he sees, why we are inevitably heading towards a decline in our currency and a rise in prices denominated in that currency. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod.
Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. NV Gold Core, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, um, and I'm really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with me once in a while again. It's been a little while since Alistair. We usually have him on every every four weeks or so, and it seems longer than that. Maybe it's not, but it seems it because it's always so good to have him with us and uh, to go over some of his work, some of his ideas that he publishes uh, that you can and all should read. Uh, at goldmoney.com. He publishes every week. It's uh, usually, I don't know, six, seven, eight page essay on on some current topic in the markets that's very important to keep up with. And that's why I think it's essential reading. So it's goldmoney.com every Thursday. And that's uh, at the research page there at Gold Money. Thank you for joining me again, Alistair. Thank you for asking me, Jay. It's uh, really good to have you with us. Um, And I want to talk about your inflation roadmap piece. That's uh, probably all we'll get to today. There's so many other things I'd love to talk to you about, but that was published on the 3rd of December. Uh, and you start out by saying on, on this piece, you said, and I quote, it is beginning to be obvious that global economic woes extend beyond COVID lockdowns and that monetary inflation for the dollar as the common foundation for other fiat currencies whose issuers face similar problems will continue to accelerate, end of quote. So you, you've certainly, Alistair, been on top of this, believing that it's much beyond, much deeper than COVID. Uh, I remember you talking about last year, the repo problem in September of 2019. But what evidence do you see that our leaders, people, you know, the, the Keynesians, the people that are drinking all the Kool-Aid, the, the, uh, you know, the mainstream Kool-Aid, are starting to realize that maybe there's something beyond COVID here? What, what evidence well, do you see that they're seeing that, and, and what are they seeing? I don't. I, I see no evidence of them admitting it at all. They oh. seem to think that the only problem is COVID. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, as we have discussed uh, before, COVID came along. There were other very um, uh, significant problems. Uh, one of which was the end of the bank credit cycle, the expansionary phase of the bank credit cycle. And quite obviously, uh, the banks ran out of balance sheet capacity 
in September 2019 uh, when uh, they had to go into the repo market uh, to in order to keep their books straight. And there was that crisis in the repo market. That was the first thing. And the second thing, of course, uh, actually happened a little bit before that, and that is the uh, trade tariff war between America and China, uh, which was really the subject for 2018. Mm -hmm. um, the, the combination of those two things on their own um, are really potentially destructive. And uh, one has to remember, or just do not forget, for goodness sake, that in 1929, you had exactly the same coincidence of the end of the expansionary phase of the bank credit cycle and the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act, which raised tariffs by roughly 20%, not too dissimilar to uh, uh, Trump's tariffs in, in, in many respects. Uh, and, of course, 1929 was the start of the Wall Street collapse, um, which uh, took it down 90%, 89% to be precise, between October or sorry, September uh, 1929, which was the month before Congress passed the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act, uh, and uh, the middle of 1932. And of course, that was followed by the uh, Great Depression. So um, putting COVID to one side, we already have the ingredients for uh, um, a very difficult economic outlook, uh, and one which uh, really, uh, on current policies, just cannot be avoided. So. We, we, we now have COVID. We've had the first stimulus, which basically meant that in the second half of your last fiscal year, uh, two thirds of government um, expenditure was covered by inflationary financing through QE and one third through taxation. So already uh, you are on a hyperinflationary course. Uh, we then uh, are about to get some stage once the presidential situation is resolved uh, a second stimulus and that is going to be at least as large as the first stimulus it must do and when i say at least as large i mean at least as large in real terms in other words uh, the numbers will reflect if you like the earlier dilution in order to get the same effect so mm -hmm. uh, you've got this acceleration if you like going on and there is also, um, another problem, and that is that, uh, you know, if we go back to the time when banks were running out of balance sheet, um, they were at that stage, you know, they needed more equity. They can't raise equity because uh, equity prices for the banks in the main are less than um, the book value. And of course, a bank would be absolutely crazy to try and raise money at less than book value. So uh, the banks, in a sense, are trapped. But the problem that COVID created in industry was it seized up the supply chains. And that problem is now coming about again. Uh, if you look at um, M2 minus M1, which gives you an approximation of bank lending, in mm -hmm. other words, you take out all the, um, you know, the sort of the very short term stuff like uh, you know, checking accounts in the banks, cash, um, mm -hmm. you know, money market funds, things like yeah. that. Take that uh -huh. out of the M2 figure. Yeah. And you can see that uh, M2 minus that has contracted very sharply yes. Yes. Uh, in November. Now, mm -hmm. um, at the same time, if you look at M1, that has actually jumped in that month. 
very, very substantially. And I think I'm right in saying that the, in the last two weeks of November, M1 increased by 11.6%. I mean, this is, this is enormous. Yeah. Interestingly, savings deposits fell by 88.5 billion, which is only about three quarters of a percent. But it was the first fall we've seen in uh, the savings deposits figures at the banks for some considerable time. So what we are seeing on the deposit side of the bank's balance sheet is a shift away from uh, term loans, if you like, mm -hmm. towards uh, just checking accounts, the buildup of cash. Now, this tells me that people are getting ready to uh, reduce their cash um, if you like the relationship between the cash they actually hold and the goods that they buy because we all have a reserve of some sort uh, mm -hmm. to buy those things that we need tomorrow and those little emergency things that perhaps we hadn't uh, um, uh, budgeted for uh, the first thing that happens um, in a situation like this is that when people start moving out of uh, the uh, term loans, you know, the, mm -hmm. if you like, the savings accounts mm -hmm. into cash, then the next thing they do is they reduce that cash and they reduce that cash by running out and buying things. Mm -hmm. So you can see that there is the potential for an acceleration in price inflation as a wave of buying out of, uh, if you like, the deposit side uh, of of. Um, uh, of, of the bank's balance sheets reflected in that M1 total, that is going to be unwound into the basic economy. But of course, it doesn't get unwound in total. It just gets unwound for individuals. If I sure. increase my level of um, uh, uh, checking account balances, let's say, um, then I'm going to get rid of that by buying something and mm -hmm. somebody else is going to get that money mm -hmm. and that will end up being deposited. Now, whether it gets deposited back into uh, a checking account or a savings account, of course, at this stage, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But the trend is if you have got uh, too much money in the checking accounts, then that is going to get spent down in order to adjust the balance for ordinary people back to where they would normally require uh, to hold balances rather than to hold too much in the way of balances. Mm -hmm. Now, the yes. other problem... If you look at the other side of the balance sheet, um, the, the, the bank lending side, yes. um, this actually uh, has contracted very sharply, very suddenly. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is all to do with those supply chain problems. I don't know if you've noticed uh, in the press recently, there have been stories about containers, uh, you know, just a, all sitting in, in the Pacific Coast container ports in America. Uh -huh. We've got the same thing in, in Europe with containers in Rotterdam, Felixstowe, those big container hubs. They're just accumulating there. Some of them are just not shifting because they're being used by governments as storage. Um, but the po problem is that they're not getting back to China, India, wherever, uh, in order to be loaded with the goods, you know, the spare parts, the consumer goods and everything else that we buy from Asia. Uh, so all the containers are in the wrong place. Um, we've got problems in places like uh, Los Angeles because delivery, you know, people, the, if you like, the, the, the road transport is being affected by um, uh, drivers, uh, you know, uh, 
getting COVID. So uh-huh. they're not shifting the containers as the logistics models basically said that they should. And you are also getting further disruption from something called rollovers. Now, a rollover is, you know, when you get your container and you say you take it down to the docks and it misses the ship, it rolls over onto the next shipment. So, uh-huh. uh, but nobody quite knows what has rolled over and what hasn't rolled over. And so the whole thing is a logistics, me- logistics mess. Now, the reason I go on about this is because this logistics mess is basically the supply chain mess. And the supply chain mess, the other side of that is payments. The payments are not going through. So if you look at the current situation, which is reflected in the gross output numbers, which is really what supply chains are are about, Mm -hmm. gross output um, between the end of last year and this year uh, has fallen by some four trillion. Now, Given, given that the fall in uh, um, uh, bank lending is of the order of 1.6 trillion, you can see there's probably something like another 2 trillion being absorbed by companies uh, supplying things along that supply chain. So already we have got a very serious problem building up in the supply chain. So how does this affect our money supply? Well, the answer basically is that the one thing the Fed cannot permit is an economic slump. This supply chain problem is driving us into an economic slump because the banks suddenly have seen the light and think, oh my goodness, this is not something that's going to end immediately. This is something that has got legs. We must reduce our obligations, our balance sheet obligations. We must get down that loan book. Otherwise, we are just going to get killed by bad debts. So what does the Fed do? The Fed has somehow got to find a mechanism of replacing that contracting bank credit. So your narrow money has only just started taking off. It is going to, the the, the increase in the quantity of Fed produced money, which is essentially that narrow money, M1, Mm -hmm. and guarantees that the Fed is going to, you know, give to the banks. Um, It's just going to become a hyperinflationary situation, obviously, as far as people are concerned. The reason I say obviously is that we've already talked on your program about hyperinflation already existing, the conditions for hyperinflation existing in the US monetary system as it is. We've got the second wave of COVID, of COVID stimulus, and stimulus is a is completely the wrong word for it. <laughs> yes, because of, of because it basically it transfers wealth to the government. I mean, you know, it, the, the, you've got to be as blunt as that about what it does. Mm. Uh, and not only that, we now have the problem of the supply chain chain foul up which is evidenced in container ports around the world. I mean, it's not just America. Believe you me, it's Europe, it's Asia. The whole thing is a huge, great mess. The supply chains have ground to a halt, and either the Fed and the U.S. Treasury come to the rescue to some $34 trillion worth of supply chain mess in the U.S. economy, or we go into the most dramatic slump we have seen since the 1930s and potentially even worse than that. So what are they going to do? They're going to print money. They're going to have to print money. And what you're saying is it's not going into long-term obligations. It's staying liquid. It's staying in that M1 category, I guess. And then, as you say, people 
push their money or they or they, they get out of the longer term obligations and look and and put their their assets into some sort of liquid form they try to um, and is that, do I have that right and and also if you could sort of help me understand why this supply chain problem has evolved is it how directly related is it to covid well it's it it, it is very much related to covid because um, you know our, you know what we want out of life in a COVID lockdown is completely different from what we want in a normal economic situation. Mm-hmm, I mean, sure. you've got, you know, the retail industry has been killed. Hospitality has been killed. Airlines, and incidentally, that's another aspect of logistics. Airlines are being killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and, you know, shopping malls, empty. I mean, the whole thing has changed. And where we've actually got a job, we're working from home as often as not now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, thank goodness we've got, um, you know, Zoom and we've got, um, you know, we can share files across the net and all the rest. I mean, all, all this is absolutely wonderful. But it does mean that, uh, you know, commercial office property is basically um, slaughtered. I mean, oh I wouldn't say it's completely redundant, but you can see that the use of it in the future and then you've got, you know, are we going to commute into New York? No. What happens no. to the railway lines? The railway lines are literally running at a third capacity. So, know. you know, it's, our, our behavior has changed mm. completely. And it is therefore not surprising that things that are suddenly in demand aren't available in terms of supply and things which we no longer need are sitting in the docks in containers unsold. So yeah. the whole thing is a global mess. And so far, nobody has really started, you know, re- nobody's really thought about it in terms of commentary. Um, I'm sure that governments have looked at it and say, oh, my goodness, this is a mess. What can we do? Oh, I don't know. Nothing we can do. Put it off until tomorrow. We've got a more important thing with COVID. I'm mm-hmm. sure that there's an element of that going on. Yeah. But Actually, if you just look at the situation, you can see that because the supply chain, the other side of the supply chain is the payments chain. Mm -hmm. This is a glorious financial mess. It's a disaster. Yeah. And the banks are over leveraged into it. They they have got customers who are going bust. Their bad debts are mounting. Uh, They, you know, and, you know, they geared, what, 10, 15 times to one on this scenario. And... uh, Believe you me, the supply chain figure is equivalent to gross output, and gross output is the sum of all the transactions that goes through to making a final product. And in America, that has fallen recently from about 38 trillion. Bearing in mind that uh, GDP in America is in the order of 20, 20 odd trillion, mm-hmm. it's fallen from 38 trillion, nearly double that, to 34 trillion. Mm. A 4 trillion dollar fall in gross output is an extremely serious matter. Insolvency, uh, massive amounts of insolvency you would think is, is on the, uh, is just around the corner here as we head into next year. And I know in, in the U.S., um, I think, um, you know, there's some laws that are, that were passed ten- temporarily to try to protect landlords and, and banks and so forth. So, uh, it's, it's really, um, 2021 is not going to be a, a cakewalk the way it looks. But just uh, with a few minutes left, I know in your article you said there are there are two distinct aspects to the path forward for the dollar's demise. The first is the foreign selling 
uh, I guess a lot of this really relates to what you're talking about in the supply chain. But the point is that we were, as you pointed out, we were already in trouble before COVID. And, and here we are with COVID. But so just talk a little bit about what would cause foreigners to sell the dollar and, and then what would cause Americans uh, to sell the dollar. Well, um, we've already seen foreigners begin to sell the dollar. The trade weighted. Uh, if you just look at the chart, and it looks very, very sick. Uh-huh. I mean, it has declined and declined and declined. Um, uh, foreigners, quite simply, own too many dollars. Uh, if you take the, um, I, I'm working off the Treasury uh, uh, tick figures. If you take the, the, the total portfolio investments, it's around about 21 trillion dollars. And if you take their cash, uh, sorry, that should be twenty-two uh, trillion dollars. If you take their cash, it's a further six trillion dollars. The total, because it's a bit more than twenty-two and a bit more than six, works out at about twenty-eight and a half trillion dollars. Now that is in an economy which, in its current shape, is around about uh, uh, GDP of about twenty trillion. So you can see that. Uh, foreigners own 140% of your GDP equivalent. Oh. Now, that, I mean, you know, they've got too many dollars. It, it is as simple as that. And uh, when things start going wrong, what do foreigners do? They repatriate their money because they've got trouble back at home and mm-hmm. they need to finance that. Mm-hmm. So that's the first stage. And I think that they, are, they could well drive the dollar down um, uh, in terms of its purchasing power by at least a third or even a half or potentially even more. Now, uh, then you get the second uh, act to this tragedy, and that is domestic users of the dollar realize that the dollar is uh, is finally declining. It's not a question Mm of prices going up, but, you know, they see the dollar going down and they see, well, it's the dollar that's the problem, not prices. Mm -hmm. Now, when they begin to understand that, of course, you've got the scenario for the crack-up boom, where they say, we don't want dollars. We've got to get rid of them before they go down any further. Yeah. And that is the that is the final collapse of the dollar. Yeah. Then we're getting close to the end. And and any sense of the timing on that, Alistair? I mean it's hard to predict, but it sure seems that things are accelerating now. Yes, I think that's true, Jay. And um, my view on timing, and it has to be a view, is that it's going to be really very rapid. Um, yeah. I think Things have happened since, um, say, a similar event back in 1922-23 in Germany. Um, I mean, you, the the whole economy is financialized. It is a financial economy. So what happens happens a lot more instantly. And the other thing is that people have learned through cryptocurrencies that the reason that cryptocurrencies are going up is because uh, there is a limited supply, say, of Bitcoin compared with the dollar, which has unlimited supply. The government is basically killing the dollar. People have learned this. They didn't know this before. They they didn't know. Anyway, that's... We're going to have to leave it go with that. Alistair, we're out of time, as always. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us. And, of course, the dollar. uh, Cryptocurrencies is one thing that's probably taking some uh, starch out of the the gold markets right now. But gold, of course, uh, is there as well. Gold and silver and tangible assets in general, I guess, wouldn't you say? 
Uh, generally, yes. And incidentally, I know a lot of people say that uh, gold is going down because people are switching into into cryptos. I see no evidence of that other than the strictly small retail business. Okay, very good. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. Um, thank you, Alistair, for being with us again. Next week, Lynn Alden is with me and Michael Oliver and Corwin Co. of Sitka Resources. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 